You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. And uh, we've got the world's second greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, here. And uh, we actually have a guest. Kelly puts her hand in a barrel and pulls out a guest for us. Pasquale, how art thou? Not too bad, Joe. Um, how are you going? Oh, you don't ask the host how he's going. Nobody cares. You know, we, we only care about you, Paz. Do you want me to call you Paz or Pasquale? Oh, Paz is fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you call me Pasquale, I won't be able to um, um, stop you. So I'm not too fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was just, I was just a bit concerned. If I called you Pasquale, maybe you'd kind of fall in a heap and crawl into a ball because of your school experiences. But that's a different story. <laughs> now... Um, how do you pronounce your surname? Forgione. Forgione. Yep. Hmm, that's a good surname. Have you got any yes. any idea of its origins? Um, I'm not. I mean, I'm not like entirely sure. Like, like it's an Italian surname. I mean, mm-hmm. that much I know. Um, both sides of my family are from Italy, but I've never, I've never looked into the origins. Mm. Uh, maybe you might have a theory. I don't know. Yeah, I've got a theory. <laughs> I've always got a theory. Pass. No. Um, in the good old days when your relatives and my relatives were serfs, you know, we were basically inconsequential as far as the lords and ladies were concerned. Uh, when there was too many of us, they had to, had to give us surnames in order to identify so they could tax us. And I think your name would come from the word forge and maybe you're you know, from a blacksmith family. Or metal workers yeah. of some type. That's what I, I, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. possibly. That would, um, um, that would make a bit of um, sense. I'd be keen to look into it. I mean, I'd be, I'd be keen to look into my whole um, family history, actually. I've never done that. I've, you know, yeah. I only you know, can go back a few generations and then things get very, very hazy. But I'd love yeah. to be able to yeah. um, you know, look into you know, where we came from and how we got here. Yeah, it's very difficult for Italians, especially Italians of uh, working class or proletariat backgrounds, because like most Europeans, we didn't actually have surnames till about the 19th century. Like uh, 
my name Toscana, all it means is, is he who comes from Tuscany. So if you kind of left Tuscany and went to another part of Italy, that's the surname they'd give you, you know. Yeah, but I reckon I reckon metal work metal workers or um, you know or um, blacksmiths or something like that. So where did your parents come from? Yeah, well, um, my dad's side of the family is from um, Puglia, which I mean you'll know what that is, but yep. for people who don't know, it's the uh, you know southeastern um, corner of Italy, the side of Italy that faces um, Greece and Albania. And my mum's side of the family, my mum's mum is from um, Benevento in a Campania, which is, you know, not too far outside of Naples. And my mum's dad's side of the family is from uh, Calabria, Reggio di Calabria, which is, you know, right at the bottom of the mm. of the boot, um, facing Sicily. So, yeah, southeast and southwest. Yep, yep, yep. The proletariat. Scum, well, scum yeah. of the earth. That's what you That's want. right. Like me, I came, uh, my parents came from Sicily. We were just basically cheap labour for those who were... Exercise power there and here. So, when, when did your parents come to Australia? Uh, well, um, my mum's side of the family uh, came here in the 1960s. They've been here for a long time now. Uh, my dad's side of the family came here a bit more recently. My dad came here in oh, 1972. That's uh, 50 years ago. Uh, so, my uh, my dad would have been uh, um, 12 um, back then, and you know, he came here with his. His parents and his, um, like his older brother had come here, you know, uh, like earlier. They do a thing where, you know, you know, one brother comes in early and, right. you know, sets up foundations and then the rest of the family, you know, yeah. you know, comes a few years later. But yeah, um, 50 years. My uh, dad's side of the family has been here and my mum's side of the family, I'm like a little, a little bit longer. Yeah. Look, it's interesting that you basically were kind of part of the late wave of immigration because most of the uh, southern Italians who came across, like my parents, came across in the late 40s and early 50s because the, the Australian country needed uh, cheap labour, basically, to um, populate or perish. That was you, re- you remember that term, populate or perish? That's right, yeah. 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 Although, I mean, there was a bit of variation. I think, actually, now that I, uh, now that I think about it, my mum's um, dad, he actually, he came here the earliest, but he's He's quite a bit older than my mum's mum. Yeah. He came here in um, 1955. Yep. Um, you know, he would have been very, you know, very young, like 18 or 19. So, you know, he came here and before he met his wife, unlike here in Australia. So, mm. uh, yeah, my um, my dad's side of the family um, came here a fair bit later. Yeah, that was definitely the end of that, you know, post-war migration boom, you know, the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, you were born here? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's interesting talking to you that you've still got a slight accent. You, you can pick, you know. Did you, did you speak Italian at home? Yeah, a um, little bit. But, I mean, you know what happens as you get older? Like, you, you know, if you're, not, um, if, you're not, if you're not speaking it every day, mm. like, you, you start to um, I mean, lose touch with, you know, some of your older relatives and your grandparents. You know, your parents over time, um, you know, start to speak Italian unless and English more. I mean, I do have a bit of an accent, but it's not always it's it's not always obvious that um, that it's an Italian accent. Like sometimes when I travel overseas, you know, you know, no one ever guesses that I'm I'm from Australia. But people people sometimes think that I sound English, so I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe it's the Adelaide thing, you know. Oh, I think, I think the Adelaide accent's a little different to the 
country. Yeah, I do think it is the outright thing. You know, you you were free settlers, you mob, so you know you weren't convict stock. So <laughs> no, that's right. You, yeah. you spoke the Queen's English the way it should have been spoken. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, no, you've got you've got. I think it will take another. Australian with an Italian background to pick up the accent, but it's 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 very clear to me when I listen to you. There are the way you roll some of the syllables, you know. And that's, that's the interesting thing about people. You can, if you listen really closely, sometimes you can actually pick, you know, a lot about them. Did you did you have much contact with your grandparents? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, not my. No, my dad's um, dad, you know, he died uh, um, long before I came onto the scene. But, yeah, my um, my uh, uh, dad's mum, Yuga, was around for a while. And and uh, both both my grandparents on my mum's side are still around. Um, so, yeah, you've had a, you know, plenty of contact um, with them. Do you think they've had any um, impact on you? Oh, of course. I mean, it's... It's, um, I mean, you kind of only, like, um, fully realise the impact, like, like well into adulthood, I think, you know, when you can start to look back, but, yeah, yeah, like, absolutely, I mean, I mean, you know what, like, uh, what Italian families are like, mm. um, you know, people don't always get along, and, and sometimes, you know, you go, uh, uh, and you go stretches of time, like, without, um, talking to people, um, um, at, and then after a while, like, you know, people forget what the conflict was about. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I make huge, I make huge influence on me. I make particularly, um, on my mum's side, my, my mum's, um, um, parents, um, you know, a lot of very, very fond of memories around them, food and mm. playing bocce in the backyard and playing cards and all sorts of other things. Mm. Mm. Did you play 21? Uh, yeah, yeah, wasn't very good at it. I've, 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 I've never been good at card games, actually, uh, you know, consistently right. at pretty much all of them, Anglo and Italian card games. Right. So there's no point in me taking you to the casino, is there, if you come to um, Melbourne? Not that I'd go, not to, a unless, ca- not that I'd go to a casino, but it's a good talking point. Yeah, not unless you want to lose some money, you know, I can help you, I'm going to return some money. Um, through the system, but otherwise I'd be pretty useless. Yeah, look, look, I don't need your help to lose money. Just ask Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> She'll tell me. It just falls out of my pockets. Yeah, through the holes in the pockets. So what year were you born? Um, 1986. You're a youngster. I was born well, in 51. Youngish. I mean, uh, you know, I'm uh, halfway between I'm 30 and 40. Uh, and, and when you're, like, uh, working alongside people... You know, in their early twenties, you, know, you don't feel quite so, quite so young. <laughs> well, I feel very young when I'm working with Kelly. She makes me feel young. <laughs> so, can you tell us something, something generally about your dad? Uh, well, I mean, he's, um, I mean, he's a very quiet man, uh, I guess. Uh, he. Um, uh, massive Elvis fan, as like a lot of people of that generation, particularly like in my experience, like a lot of um, a lot of Italians of that generation. You know, like the level of like 
like Elvis worship. Uh, I mean, uh, I make huge framed photos on the wall, you know, records and CDs and DVDs. Um, uh, he works as a labourer um, and uh, probably works a bit too hard and a bit too much. Um, you know, like, like I think there's that whole um, culture like around, uh, I mean, like a lot of, um, people of his age group, I mean, who come from migrant backgrounds, they just work so hard and they mm. just, you know, keep working and they and uh, um, they don't want to stop because, because you, know, you know, they just want to um, make sure that they, you know, um, leave everyone as as um, mm. as uh, comfortable as possible. I mean, like my dad's in his early 60s and, um, I mean, you know, he'll, you know, he'll keep going for... Uh, um, for another ten years, you know, if he has things his way, but um, yeah, yeah, very a uh, uh, a very quiet man, but a good sense of humour. Mm. I'm a bit worried about his um, Elvis fetish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we haven't. Um, oh, not sure if anyone like, let him know that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the water music has moved on a little bit, you know. This is what no, no, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about before because my parents they used to bring out records from Sicily with Sicilian folk songs on. That was the only music I used to listen to as a kid. <laughs> oh, he listens to plenty of that. Yeah, he's got I plenty of that, has he? Like, yeah. I grew up with like Italian music, like I'm, um, you know, like um, like Adrian Celentano and Little Tony and yes. and all those types. My dad's like a bit of a a uh, time capsule, actually, of, like, Italian pop music from the 60s and 70s. So, you know, I mm. grew up with, like, you know, mm. you know, 50% Presley and 50%, you know, like, Italian right. pop from the 60s and 70s. Yeah, look, I forgive him now. I thought for a minute he'd forgotten his culture and he'd forgotten his background. No. No, I forgive no. him. No. Quite the opposite. I think maybe he... Uh, like, maybe in some ways he, you know, he becomes... Uh, I'm more Italian the longer he's been here. Yeah, it's interesting. That, uh, I remember um, when I was much younger, my parents went back to Italy and they came back. They were shocked. They were shocked because the Italy they left 30 years before disappeared and they were still living that dream of that Italy. And when they went back, it was totally different as far as they were concerned. Yeah, that's very hard. My parents um, like haven't gone back. I think that's a huge... A huge challenge. I mean, particularly, I mean, um, for my dad, like, you know, going back after 50 years, mm. um, you know, would be pretty, pretty unrecognizable. Although, you know, his part of Italy has probably changed them less than, you know, the north and mm. you know, other major cities, you know. Um, you know, it's probably, um, he grew up in a, you know, small village in the foothills. And I imagine, you know, the transformation there has been, you know, not as dramatic as, say, um, I mean, larger places, which are, you know, you know, are probably pretty unrecognisable in some mm. ways. Mm. Tell us about your mum. Uh, my mum? Uh, uh, where to begin? <laughs> uh, uh, only mom, positive uh, things. We only, we only, when I talk to you about your parents, I only want to hear positive things. You've got negative oh. things, you tell her in private. <laughs> oh, I've got, I've got nothing negative to say about my mum. I mean... Like how could I? I mean, you know, incredibly, uh, you know, generous and and uh, and like hardworking woman, and uh, 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 you know, ran the household. Uh, I mean, um, you, 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 uh, very much the yeah, 
you know, the hardened brains of the house um, growing up. Uh, she, um, she works in hospitality, uh, so um, uh, COVID's obviously had a like, huge impact on her. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, like I think the last uh, um, couple of years have been a huge struggle work-wise with you know, all the shutdowns and lockdowns and de facto lockdowns. But, um, you know, I think her and my dad are probably, I mean, yeah, that's, that's always hard. But they recently, they recently become, um, became grandparents. So that's, uh, I'm sure, I mean, that's a much, much bigger thing than like, um, what's happening at work. And I know they're getting a lot of, uh, um, a lot of joy from that. Mm. So was that, through your efforts or the efforts of a brother and sister, they became oh, grandparents. Definitely, definitely not. Definitely not my efforts. No, no, that's my right. that's my younger sister who, uh, um, like, had a um, like had a daughter a couple of years ago. Well, mm-hmm. like almost some two years ago, she turns um, she turns them two uh, next uh, month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, which which um, makes me an uncle, which is a very strange thing to say. You feel. Um, you feel slightly less young, you know, when you realise that you know you're an uncle and there's another mm. generation below you now. That's a, that's one of those things that you you kind of realise. Well, you know, I'm not. Yeah, there's a, you know, there's another generation behind me now. You know, you're, you know, catching up. You're in a very pleasant place. I'm actually at the coal face. My parents are dead. Most many of the people I know have died, and I'm looking at a cliff face. You're in the middle. You're enjoying yourself. This is the greatest time of your life. You know that, Paz. Well, <laughs> seriously, that's, um, seriously. That would, that's a that's the kind of attitude I should adopt. I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, Kelly's I nodding. Kelly's nodding. If I had that perspective. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah. Life's not a dress rehearsal, Paz, unless you're religiously inclined. Are you really uh, well, I'm not. No, no. Like as far as I'm aware, um, this is it. Right. So, uh, enjoy. It. Yeah, there's no, there's no second chances. No, so enjoy it. So, um, when you went to primary school, or did you go to preschool? I assume you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did uh, preschool, kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah, and did uh, when you went? Um, what was your English like? Oh, oh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I had any issues. Yeah, I, I was a, I was a pretty good um, student. I think uh, no, no. I mean, not at everything, but like I'm generally, you know, I, I, I did pretty well. Mm. Um, wasn't very. Uh, I think like anything, I'm kind of physical. I, I struggled at, but yeah, I'm, you know, I was a, you know, mostly pretty switched on. I think. Yeah, you want to hear a funny story? Sure. At my expense. All I, right. I, I, was born, I was born in Brisbane in 1951, right? I went to school in Brisbane in 1956. I didn't know one word of English. See how things changed in 30 years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. When you went, when you went, obviously things were a lot freer and the communities were intermixing more than when my parents came, when uh, it was very difficult uh, for especially southern Italians to uh, mix in with the Australian population. Uh. Oh, that must have been so hard. And even compared to like, oh, like my parents. I mean, yeah. my dad, 
Um, my dad tells stories of, you know, his brief time in school, unlike here in Australia, and, you know, he copped the, you know, he copped, you know, heaps of racism from, um, from other students. And even he said, um, you know, I'm from the police. So, and, you know, I mean, I'm certainly, I mean, you know, I've never, like, experienced any of that. I mean, I, you know, I think, yeah, you know, um, yeah, you know, we've well and truly, um, like, assimilated. But, you know, like in my dad's time, it was, yeah, it was a very, you know, very hostile, like, experience. And, you know, I mean, he got into many fights and, and uh, yeah, it was really, really rough for him. And that was only, like, a, I'm like a generation before me, and I guess you know that would have been a generation or or like half a generation after you. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it, things. Things have changed dramatically, obviously, because of efforts of people like your father and my parents to uh, fit in. And in turn, I mean, you know, they used to be called New Australians, at least. Now, any other brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah. I've got a I've got a younger brother. I'm quite a bit younger. Uh, Ten years younger, uh, and uh, uh, but that's it. I'm the oldest, and, and my sister's a couple of years younger than me, right. and then my my brother's a decade. I'm younger than me. Right. So, was life at primary school pretty idyllic in Adelaide? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a very. Um, we grew up in the northeastern suburbs of Adelaide, uh, in uh, Campbelltown and Paradise, which have a which have a very large I'm like Italian and Greek community, and so our our primary school and high school had a very large like Italian and and Greek community. Um, but yeah, I mean it was a pretty pretty pleasant area, like quite quite green and leafy. Uh, but I'm uh, kind of on the cusp of like Adelaide's eastern suburbs and northern suburbs, so mm-hmm. like um, you're very a mixed area, you know quite working class, but also with more, you know, more comfortable pockets as you kind of head towards Adelaide's eastern suburbs, which, uh, yeah, you know, that's kind of our most affluent area. Um, we were near the River Torrens, which is the um, mm-hmm. the main river that runs them through Adelaide. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of open space um, nearby. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty, I mean, looking back, like, and there's always, I mean, there's always uh, challenges and and struggles, but I mean, on the whole, uh, you know, I had it pretty good, I think. Was this, was this one of these um, areas where you, when you come home from school, you'd kind of spill out, spill out on out on the streets and play with other kids? Was it that type of uh, environment in the? Uh... Um, a little bit, not as. Um, Maybe not as much as other people, but yeah, like you know, I had a I had a friend on the opposite um, side of the road, and I used to uh, go bike riding with him as a kid. And, uh, but once we um, went riding onto the main road, and uh, you know, my parents um, um, got absolutely furious, and, and uh, actually, my uh, dad like um, drove after us and and told me to ride straight home. I mean, I was like riding on the footpath, but obviously, yeah. <laughs> Your parents are like, yeah, you're quite, uh, yeah. I'm quite upset. But I was only meant to stay in the side streets. So I wasn't you know, meant to go onto a, I'm like onto a main yeah. road. Right. So, what high school did you go to, or secondary college? 
Yeah, I went to um, uh, Charles Campbell um, Secondary School, which was actually on the opposite on the opposite side of the road from my primary school, and a bit like um, a bit like my primary school, it was a very large Italian and Greek community. Uh, it was a, you know, it was a, you know, like a pretty solid public school. Uh, um, I had a, you know, great reputation when it came to um, dance. Uh, not that that helped me much, but you, you know, really into dancing as a, you know, one of the leading, one of the leading schools in Adelaide. Um, and uh, I mean, I, you know, I had other interests. I was, you know, uh, I'm super into um, I like history and and English and legal studies. It was a pretty, a pretty pleasant time, mostly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, it's interesting that your parents, like many of uh, Italian migrants at that particular point in time, didn't send you to a Catholic school. You, 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 why do you think they didn't send you to a Catholic school? Yeah, I mean, I mean, probably because uh, they just didn't have the money. I mean, I just, I just think that would have been too expensive. I mean, of course, I mean, I mean, Catholic schools um, are very like in cost, but I just. I just think that yeah, we didn't have the um, the money for that. But I'm, uh, I mean, frankly, I'm pretty grateful. I went to a public school. I, I, uh, oh, you I should be. You a, should be grateful. Yeah, I, I would have had a far less pleasant experience. I'm like a lot of my friends who went to Catholic schools are actually uh, much more anti-Catholic and anti-religious than I am. Whereas, whereas because I went to a public school, I'm like even though I'm not religious, I don't, I don't have any of that. You know, baggage that mm. they yeah. have, but yeah. you know, some of the really unpleasant experiences they had at school. So, so religion it didn't play much of a role. Were your parents like my parents? What I'd call them, Christmas Catholics. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, um, Catholics for uh, you know Christmas funerals, weddings. That's about it. You yeah. know, and I, and I was trying to remember. I mean, you know, I went to. Um, Went to mass a few times. I, I mean, I got christened, but I never. That was it. Uh, and, and I don't even. I um, don't even remember what's the um. Holy communion. Uh, the wafer Holy... bread of the. Uh, um, the communion. communion bread. I think yeah. I like. I think I had that once uh, when I technically wasn't meant to because oh, I can't. hadn't had. That's right. Well, well, that's right. I had a snack some. Uh, yeah. well, you <laughs> uh, but yeah. Confirmation. You weren't confirmed. How dare you? No. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well, well, that's like God would judge me when the time comes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't particularly uh, we weren't particularly religious. Um, uh, I think like um, uh, my parents had uh, uh, had um, um, threatened to send us to a Christian school, but I I don't think it was a serious <laughs> threat. And uh, fortunately, they never. Uh, they never followed through on it. Well, well you were a bit uh, undisciplined. Is that why they threatened to send you to, to get a uh, bit of discipline? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was a bit of a picky eater, and I wasn't picky always eater. well behaved at home. You know, one of those, I mean, you know, kids who were, uh, um, I mean, would only eat, you know, five kinds of food, and you know, five had no kinds. interest in like anything else. Well, yeah, hang on, kind of. Tell us what were they. Oh, uh, you know, I was, I, you know, it was just like chips, chips. and biscuits. I don't, 
I'm terrible at diet. I'm, yeah, but um, that's, 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 a normal, that's a normal Australian diet. What are you bitching about? You're totally assimilated. What were they angry about? <laughs> well, on, um, on Saturday nights, we used to have um, pasta with broccoli. Yes. Of course, um, no, I love broccoli now. I actually had some broccoli last night with dinner. But like, as a kid, I couldn't stand it. And you know how parents say, um, yeah. um, you, know, you can't leave the table, table. Yeah. until you finish um, your meal. And I would be like, well, you know, so be it. And, you know, I would, I would stay there all night and, and refuse them to touch it. Likewise, uh, you know, we used to have sometimes my, uh, my grandparents, my, uh, my maternal grandparents um, would come over and would have um, um, spaghetti marinara. Uh, and and I, just, I just couldn't stand that. I mean, like, you know, eat, even the sight of seafood made my stomach turn stool does. And I, I just like, I refuse to touch it. They'll all, you know, you know, go into lounge room and, you know, watch, you know, Xena and Hercules and yes. touch by nature. And I would stay there all night refusing to, uh, uh, to touch my bowl of, my bowl of uh, cold spaghetti with, you know, bits of, you know, prawn and shrimp and octopus and God knows what else. <laughs> All right, all right. Look, let's let's move on. Hey, how's it going? You're listening to Three CR Radical Radio. Three CR gives space for voices excluded from mainstream media to people who want to be heard. And to help keep Three CR on the air, you need to donate and subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, obviously you left high school. Were you one of these brilliant students who could do any university course you liked or did you go in a different direction? Uh, well, I'm, I mean, I did go to uni, but actually I, I kind of had a... I had like an underwhelming year 12. I kind of underachieved, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't get into my first choice. Um, I wanted to um, um, go, to, go to the University of Adelaide, but went to Flinders... Um, university instead. That may have worked out for the best though, but I had, I had a really wonderful time. I um, met some great um, people, and I've got really fond uh, memories of you know long conversations on the grass um, by the lake or at the pub. Uh, you know, studied uh, philosophy and uh, and politics, and um, did a bit of law, but um, I didn't finish it. Which is kind of a regret now. I wish I did, but uh, but that's okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it was a really, really eye-opening, you know, mind-opening time for me. Like, I'm just uh, being able to, like, surround myself with ideas and, and books for, I mean, probably the first time in my life, really. I mean, you know, I was always kind of a bookish kid, but then you go to university and you just, you know, realize how world, I'm like, how big the world of ideas is. It was just... You know, that was pretty intoxicating, actually. And I kind of miss it, actually. I, I You know, I, I often think about uh, when I'll be ready to go back to study. Hmm. So did you graduate with something? Yeah, I, I did a Bachelor of Arts honours, right. uh, uh, first class. Uh, 
majoring in in philosophy and politics. And I was going to um, continue studying. I started a started a master's in political philosophy, but uh, uh, by that point I was burned out, and I uh, kind of realised I couldn't keep going. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I'll take a a short break. Um, I'm go overseas. I went to a went to New Zealand, and I thought, you know, I'll spend a few months there, and I'll and I'll come back um, refreshed, and you know, hopefully start studying again soon. Mm-hmm. And that was um, that was just over ten years ago, and I haven't and I haven't I'm gone back to study yet. But you know, I feel like it's getting closer. Yeah. It's getting closer. So New Zealand, did you go anywhere else, or that's it? Well, it's uh, it's actually like a funny story. It's it's kind of um, like it's kind of become a bit of a, a bit of a, um, like obsession for me uh, because I wasn't um, a lot of my friends had gone gone travelling and I hadn't really I hadn't really done that. I didn't leave the country till I was um, that's why I was um, twenty four and uh, and I went to New Zealand. I spent uh, um, spent some. Um, three months there. I saved up a bit of money from my time at uni, and I um, fell in love with the mountains. And uh, and then I went back again, um, like a second time, the year after, and then the year after that, and then the year after that, and then the year after that. And I've actually been to New Zealand um, like eight times in the last ten years. And uh, I mean, obviously, COVID has, uh, mm. you know. Um, put a stop to all my travelling, but I'd go there every summer um, to hike, like up and down the South Island, and you know that was kind of how I'd like, you know, finish off every year and start off the next year, and you know, kind of a chance to like, you know, a refresh, and you, you know, like it was this, you know, it was this break from like the rest of my life, which is all you know, um, like activism and politics, and mm-hmm. you know racing back and forth between, you know, meetings and events. And, um, yeah, you, you know, it's it's just become this magical thing. And I, you know, I've got some wonderful friends in New Zealand who, you know, I go hiking with. It's been a couple of years now. Last time I was there was January 2020. And I came back at the end of January 2020. And, and as soon as I came back, well... You know the rest of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go hiking, um, are these things that kind of stretch into days and weeks, or do you just do oh, a day yeah. hike? And... Yeah. Oh, well, days and yeah. I mean, I've gone on like um, um, two week hikes where, um, you know, you um, you head off and your your bag weighs a ton because it's you know it's it's full of um, um, food and and clothes and. You've got your tent just in case. Um, New Zealand actually has like, like incredible hiking infrastructure. There's you know thousands of kilometres of track, and there are these little huts like you know scattered all over the countryside in on mountains and on ridges uh, in the middle of forests. Um, but you always bring a tent as a backup. But yeah, I've you know gone on long you know twelve day hikes, two week hikes, and you, uh, um, you you know you, you know you come out you know feeling amazing, but um, smelling, you know, like something absolutely <laughs> awful, <laughs> and uh, and I really miss that. Actually, I've had some uh, uh, like incredible, like incredible, like adventures, and mm. uh, uh, the feeling of like being by yourself, like 
I'm going somewhere remote and you, you know, it's like a few days before you see like another person and, you know, you have to rely on yourself and everything that you've got in your bag. That's, um, that's quite an experience. Um, I remember one time I crossed over like into this valley that, you know, no one seems to go into for some reason, you know, a very beautiful mountainous valley, but, you know, only seems to attract, you know, the odd hunter. And it was another um, three days uh, before I saw another person. It was just me and the um, uh, the sound of wasps. This uh, uh, valley was um, full of uh, wasps. They're a major pest, actually. They do, like, a lot of uh, damage to the trees. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was walking by myself. But, you know, you, you could always hear this buzzing sound in the background. Yeah. You weren't you weren't mistaken by, for a pig by a hunter by any chance. <laughs> no, no. I, I I've been pretty lucky, but I've stayed at huts with with hunters and it's a bit of a, a bit of a startling thing. You're just um there, uh, you know, like in your sleeping bag, uh, um I'm like about to doze off and suddenly you see someone like walk past them carrying a gun and you know, the moment of panic and you have to like <laughs> r- uh, remind them yourself, you, um, you know, they're a uh, you know, they're a hunter, um, they're not there to, yeah. uh, to attack you. But it's, it, it's, uh, I'm like, it's always a bit startling, like, yeah, mm. you know, seeing that for the first time. But, um, yeah, I've uh, never been mistaken for any kind of wild animal. <laughs> That's the main thing. Very lucky. Now, now, getting back, you kind of intimated that your life is full of activism. When did all this begin? Well, I mean, I am, um, you know, I was always um, very interested in politics. And, uh, I mean, I remember, like, I mean, for me, like, one of the really big moments, like, growing up was, like, you know, the the Iraq War, um, the second Iraq War in 2003, and marching against that. Um, that was um, towards the end of my time in high school. But then I didn't do too much um, for a while. I mean, like, I finished off high school, started uni, but um, um, towards the end of my studies, I started to get um, um, more and more involved. I, uh, you know, I was a Labour Party member very briefly, like in high school. But um, you know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> and then I uh, then I joined um, Socialist Alliance and uh, Resistance. Oh, this is a long time ago when I was in my early twenties, um, like uh, well over a decade ago, and. Um, I mean, you kind of work out, like, like what you most want to do and, like, where are you most needed because, you know, you know, there's so many struggles and they're all, you know, they're all very worthy and they all need, you know, more people on the ground. But um, you try to work out where you need to go. And I kind of um, gravitated towards uh, um, towards anti-poverty work, like, um, towards, um, you know, trying to find some way of organizing people who are, you know, living on very low incomes and, I mean, have to deal with, you know, Centrelink, you know, breathing down their neck. And that was the direction that I kind of moved in. And I thought I would um, do that for, like, a little bit of time. But, you know, it's um, 10 years later and it's it's still kind of, uh, you know, the dominant... Um, uh, the dominant part of my life, really. Mm. And, uh, uh, do you have to um, earn a living at the same time? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, um, a couple of times I've been I've been lucky enough that you know I've been I've been paid, 
um, to do the work that I most um, um, love doing, but that's pretty rare in this world, of course. Uh, yes. Um, uh, most of the time, you know, what pays the bills and, you know, what, you know, you know what, you know, you most uh, I, I want to do are, are very different um, things, but, um, yeah. So what, what, uh, what work do you do to pay the bills? If, yeah, if, well, if it's legal, you can tell us. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I, um, I work for the uh, National Trust, who are a heritage and mm. and um, protection organisation. They do advocacy um, around the, um, like protecting um, um, character and um, like historic buildings uh, and around the uh, um, protecting um, um, reserves and open spaces and a bit like a bit like Melbourne, of course. Um, uh, we have a planning system that's you know dominated by a by our property developers, um, and so we've seen like a lot of uh, a lot of our old architecture be uh, be uh, be knocked down and replaced by um, you know pretty unsightly and and like inappropriate and uh, and like oversized and developments. So that's some I'm doing some part time work, but then when I enjoy it, it's, and and uh, I mean like I work with very good people, and I've been learning a lot about. Uh, my heritage and planning, which is not uh, not something I've done too much work in, mm-hmm. so that's what uh, that's what pays the bills. And when I'm not doing that, I'm doing my um, my anti-poverty work. You know, working closely with people on job seeker and students and disability pensioners and others who are on you know so how, 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 how do you do that? Um, well, I'm part uh, of a. Yeah, just tell us. Give us a. A typical day, you wake up yeah. and you're not, work, you're not yeah. working for the National Trust, and, you, and you're involved in this work. What, what, what do you do practically? Yeah, well, um, uh, uh, we try to organise media. Uh, we, uh, we have a whole bunch of people, you know, who've got you know pretty important stories um, to tell. So we try to get as many of our um, members' um, stories um, like out into public, like you know, whether it's talking to ABC or. Mem- mem- members, radio. Yeah, sorry, members of what? Members of the Anti-Poverty Network. So, so I'm a right. I'm one of the founders of um, the Anti-Poverty Network. Uh, we started off um, like in SA, but we've got a sister group in Queensland, and we've got a group in WA. Uh, we uh, we support people who are having a tough time with Centrelink. So I mean, if someone rings us up and you know they ask for some advice, there's there's a uh, um, their payments been rejected, or or their payments been cut, or they've got like like health issues which are not being taken into account. They're being asked um, to do too much to keep their payment. Um, you know, we hold public forums and rallies, and um, a couple of times uh, we've had to support people who were you know um, like at risk of ending up homeless. But, you know, the uh, landlord had uh, jacked up the rent and. Uh, we needed to get them into public housing, so we do a we do a whole bunch of different things, and and I kind of, um, I mean, I I go wherever I'm needed. I kind of you know jump back and forth between mm-hmm. you know, yeah, campaigning work, you know, media and social media work, and sometimes I'm you know trying to provide you know one on one support to people who've got Centrelink issues or like housing issues. I guess I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. Mm. So are you a bit of a uh, burr in the saddle of all those um, 
organisations out there that uh, get paid to do this type of work. Because you really would think that there would there'd be no need for an anti-poverty network. I mean, there are so oh, many people involved in the welfare industry and so many contracts that are given out by governments to uh, privately owned or run organisations. You're, do, you're doing the work they're supposed to do. They get paid for. Well, I mean, we're doing a different kind of work, though. They get, um, they get paid to, uh, to provide, you know, charity and, and um, support. Um, we do a little bit of that, but our main job is not to provide charity. Our main job is to try to build some kind of um, political movement that can, you know, fight back against, the, you know, disgraceful things that governments from both sides of politics have done to um, uh, people on welfare. So that's very different to what um, um, the charities do. I mean, um, I mean, what we're trying to do is, is, you know, build some kind of political movement that, you know, will make it harder for, for governments to be able to get away with, you know, mm. cutting people's incomes and selling um, public housing and making the... Yes, well, that's what, uh, that's, welfare that's what I was interested in. I was interested in drawing that very important distinction by uh, organisations that basically it's their work in which they profit from and organisations like yours which is basically volunteer and run and um, is more of a ginger group to apply pressure on uh, pol- political um, um, organisations. Uh, yeah, much, you think that's you've had, right. You've had, you think you've had much luck? I mean, God, that's the... That's the question, is it? Like, I mean, you you look back on uh, on ten years and you think about where we're at. I mean, uh, what I think about is all the people who um, you know have never been politically active um, um, before, who've gotten active because they've they've come into contact with the Annie Provi Network in Adelaide, and they've you know gone on to you know to organise and to, you know, speak in public and speak to the media. Mm. And I would like to think that, like, you know, if if nothing else, um, you know, we've had a huge impact on, you know, yeah, the, um, and the confidence and the, and the consciousness of, you know, all the low-income people who we've encountered. But, of course, you, I mean, turning the tide is very hard. Like, you know, we've had, you know, we've had decades of, like, attacks on... You know, uh, well, the whole community, like not just people on Centrelink, but the whole working class, and mm. and like turning the tide on that is very, very hard. And you know, I think there've been like a few times where we've you know been able to be part of you know successful defensive actions. I mean, you're being able to stop um, the drug testing of welfare recipients. I mean, that was a pretty nasty thing, and and it was proposed um, back when um, Turnbull was prime minister and. You know, never happened. Partly, but, uh, but there was a big backlash, and you know, we were a small part of that backlash. Um, I, I'm sure there were like little things that I think we've been able to contribute, but um, you know, we've got a long fight ahead of us. I mean, you, you know, job seeker is still below the poverty line. You know, we mm, had that brief mm. period in COVID where you know people's payments and were doubled, and that was pretty life changing. But they, you know, they took back most of that extra money and so you know we went from 40 bucks a day to 80 bucks a day and then back down to 44 bucks a day and pensioners are still living in poverty and you know here in 
here in South Australia, um, you know, we're still losing public housing. Like, we're still getting public housing and sold off. Uh, so welcome to the club. Long way. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, we've been involved here in uh, defending extend public housing and public housing everybody's business campaigns now for over a decade with basically no results. We were able to put enough pressure on the state government at the last state election because we contested a number of seats and had a... Uh, 10-day vigil on the steps of Parliament House. They promised to build another 1,000 public housing units. Do you know how many they've built three and a half years later? How many? None. They haven't even made any planning. It was just... <laughs> That's disgraceful. Well, it's the same. It'll be the same there. I mean, yeah. Why do you think... Why do you think poverty is endemic in our society? We're 25 million people living on a bloody resource-rich continent. Well, um, poverty is... Um, poverty is useful. It's 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 a useful to have a a class of people who are um, you know under tremendous um, um, financial stress and who are very very desperate. And it's um, useful, like as a warning um, to other people, like um, people in paid work. Uh, and you can say, hey, uh, um, you know, if if you step out of line, you know, if you rock the boat, and you know, you know, you end up like without a job. It's you know it's going to be very very hard for you, but I think it's it's um, for as long as we have um, capitalism, you know, we've got to have a you know large um, class of people who are going to be treated as if you know their life and their health doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's the whole it's the whole um, reserve army of the unemployed, like this idea that um, we need a group of people who are under so much. Um, um, pressure that they'll take, you know, all of the very low-paid, um, like unsafe, and like unpleasant jobs. Uh, I think that's a big um, part of the story. And the fact is that that um, uh, I mean, lifting people out of poverty would be good for those people in poverty. But but uh, you know, it would um, it would mean for like employers that uh, um, you wouldn't have that group of people who are under you know so much pressure. Unlike in their lives, that you know, you know, they'll take all the worst and possible jobs. So, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people in this country benefit from poverty, and there's a whole industry like around poverty. Like you know, there's, you know, and there's organisations who get money from the government um, to basically, uh, you know, pressure and and like harass unemployed people. You know, that um, the job agencies who have the power to cut people's payments and you know, basically act as the welfare cops. So a lot of people in this country benefit from poverty. That's the, um, no, that's a short answer. Yeah, well, yeah, I remember that um, when we were working with the unemployed in 2016 at the end of the election cycle here in the state, in Victoria, one young woman who we um, met, who came on, on up, up on the vigil, she said, look, I, I'm... I've been homeless for a year. I've got five caseworkers who get paid to see me and not one of them has been able to organise anything. Five caseworkers, one person, homeless on the streets. Unbelievable, isn't it? That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And the thing is, I mean, from like an economic point of view, you know, if you just house people... That's right. I mean, it's so much, it's so much cheaper. You know, like someone has a house, like everything else in their life gets easier and and you know if people kept on the streets you know you get you know down the track in terms of like you know 
you know, what happens to people's health and the, you know, the impact on the health system. So, you know, like in purely economic um, terms, you think, well, this doesn't make any sense, like to just, you know, you know, you know, leave people in these awful states. Like we're paying more down the track, but it seems to be, a, you know, like a matter of principle that, you know, that we have a, you know, that we have a chunk of the community who are basically left them to ground and, um, I mean, some of those people are, are lucky enough to find paid work, but, you know, it's always the most insecure and, and um, low-paid and undesirable work. But, I mean, even from, like, a hard-headed, like, economic point of view, yeah, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, I think you're, quite, you're 100% right. It's been proven over and over again. If you give somebody shelter, secure shelter, then you can deal with the other issues, you know? You can't deal with the other issues but while, they're, while they're homeless. Have you, have you got, in the last three or four minutes, have you got any plans for yourself for the future apart from going back to New Zealand and rubbing shoulders with hunters? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm about to uh, move out with my partner. That's a, <laughs> that's a plan. It's the first time that I've, uh, I've lived with a partner, so that's, um, mm. that's exciting. We're, uh, we're looking for somewhere together. Um, and I am, I am thinking about going back to study. Um, I'm like, I think I'd like to study economics. I think now's a really good time to have, you know, more, you know, more progressive people out there in the economics profession. I mean, of all the big debates that, you know, we've got around, you know, a job guarantee and a universal basic income and just how clear it is, like, mm-hmm. that, that capitalism is, you know, totally unlike incapable of, you know, dealing with any of the, environmental and social problems um, we have so like I thought if I get my act together maybe I could go back mid-year and um, get back into study second mm. half of the year but I feel like I'm ready for that you know it's been about a decade you know I've, uh, I've done all sorts of things since then I reckon it, reckon it might be time to go back I think so yeah because um, you'll be one of those um, warriors battling against the now movement no other way you know it's got to be capitalism or, or there's nothing else it's, it's amazing right. it's amazing how that philosophy or ideological position is now dominates every aspect of existence yeah it's which our response i think is uh you know socialism or barbarism you know yeah. like either we get rid of capitalism or uh, you know things have got to get you know very very rough for Mm-hmm. Um, just about all of us. Um, I mean, we just can't keep doing what we're doing now. And, um, yeah, um, um, so they say that there's no other alternative but capitalism. We say there's, you know, no other alternative but to, but to replace um, capitalism with something where we can actually, you know, plan for the community and the environment instead of, you know, profit always, you know, winning out every single time. Mm-hmm. So if people want to make contact with the organisation or yourself, do you have any contact points that you're happy to um, publicly... Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, well, the Anti-Poverty Network South Australia is on Facebook. You know, we've got a very active page, 17,000 followers. Uh, you know, come, um, come find us on, on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, and, you know, if you want to chat... Uh, uh, message me. I monitor all those platforms. I'm always, you know, keen to talk to people, like including people from other parts of the country as well. You know, we always try to link up with, you know, friends in 
Melbourne and Sydney and elsewhere. Like, you know, we've, I work with the Unemployed Workers Union and it was some of the public housing groups in, in Victoria. So you're always happy to um, talk to allies. Well, Pasquale, I've got some good news for you. This program is will be podcast by the wonderful Kelly Whitworth, the producer of the program. She'll have a fancy picture of you and many links to the site, and it'll be up for years and years and years. So uh, it has been great chatting to you about your background and uh, obviously about all the important work you're currently doing, and uh, we need more people like you in the world. So... Um, that's all I can say. Thank you, Joe. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, all the best and all the best in your work. And when you get your economics degree, give me a buzz because uh, I'll need some financial advice then. <laughs> I may be right. thinking, I'm, I'm like your father. I'm 70 and I'm still working. And uh, I may, once you get your economic degree, maybe I'll be ready to retire. So all the, all the best, Pasquale. All the best to you and your friends. And most importantly of all, keep up that great work with the Anti-Poverty Network. No worries, Joe. Keep in touch.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.